Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews. So while you're finding it, I'll tell you just a real quick story here. So last night, I, I love to grill. And so last night, uh, we were home for a change, and I decided to grill some of our favorite things to, to eat and grill. Or the, I don't know if you've ever had them. They call them chicken grillers. It's like a skinless, boneless chicken breast wrapped in bacon and then just covered with all kinds of different seasonings. Have you ever had any of those? They have a bunch of, if you haven't had them, you are, you're missing out. And I know this is a mistake talking about food like this, you know, uh, this time of day. But uh, so I grilled those. And uh, they just melt in your mouth. They're phenomenal. And so I get done eating, and I'm stuffed. You know, Tina had made some uh, sides and stuff. And we, I get done eating, and I'm stuffed. I had eaten all I could eat, and there was still one of those chicken grillers on the, on the table. I couldn't, just, I couldn't bring myself to eat it because I had already filled up, but I couldn't bring myself to leave it on the table either. <laughs> so what I did was I put it in a bowl. Well, Tina put it in a bowl and stuck it in the refrigerator with the leftover macaroni and cheese and stuff. And so here about 1 o'clock today, I will nuke it and I will finish it off, right? Because it's too good to leave it on the table and let it go to waste. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the leftovers. Everybody with me? How many of you think that, how many of you like leftovers? Some people don't like leftovers. I love them. How many of you think that some things are better as a leftover than they are, you know, like chili and spaghetti? Some of that stuff's better leftover than it was the first time. So I said all that to say this, that... Uh, I started, I preached a message three weeks ago that I intended to just be a one-day sermon. And I got about a fourth of it done that first Sunday. And so I preached uh, some more on that. You know, I didn't want to leave it on the table, right? So I preached some more of that last week and, and got about three-quarters of the way done. And so what I realized through this week was I left a lot on the table uh, from this message, I just didn't get, I felt like uh, I shut it off last week, you got full, you got all you needed in that moment, uh, so I am going, we're going to have, we're going to finish the leftovers, uh, I think, I think I will finish this series, it's a series now, I didn't intend for it to be a series, but we will finish this series this morning, uh, but again, too good of stuff to leave on the table, and when it comes to um, the second coming of Jesus Christ, you know, I've said before that we don't hear enough about it, uh, and we need to hear about it more often, uh, and po- contemplate it and think about it more often um, so that we can live our life ready f- for that day. Amen? So it's an important message, and I want to make sure that we grab a hold of it. Uh, they say that repetition is the best teacher. I mean, I, now, first of all, you, know, you guys know how fast I talk. I could have preached this whole thing in one week. I could have done it. But God slowed me down, and here's the reason why. Number one, repetition is the best teacher, right? Number two... Some, quite frankly, when I, every Sunday morning when I stand up here and look out, it's, it's a different congregation to a certain degree. Some of you wasn't here maybe one week before. I believe that God wants every person to hear this message. Amen? So, not that it's the same message, not redundant, same topic, but we're going to cover some more ground uh, and finish this up this week. That being said, I want you to stand to your feet. You should already be there, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to start with the same verse I've started with the last couple of weeks. I'm going to start with kind of the last half of verse 26. It says, But as it is, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's His first coming, when He was born in a manger, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, he already did that at the cross, 
but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him, those who have accepted His sacrifice at the cross and accepted Him as their Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for salvation. Lord, I I thank You for the opportunity to share this Word. I pray that You would speak it through me by the anointing power of the Holy Ghost, that the words will not be my own words, my own thoughts, and my own, own opinions, for they will not help anybody. But today, if You'll, through me, speak by Your Holy Spirit, I know that You can touch hearts, You can save souls that aren't saved, you can encourage souls that are, and that you can direct our life in such a way that we will be prepared for that day that we know will take place, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody give me a shout of amen. 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 That's pretty good. You can be seated. All right, so I'm going to hit a, a few verses here. probably won't give you time to find them. They'll be on the screen where uh, you can read along. Um, I want to look at Luke chapter 21. It's actually verses 34 through 36. I'm going to talk a little bit after a while about you know, Paul and, and Peter and some of the other apostles that later also pounded the, the uh, teaching of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But for the last couple of weeks and starting off here this morning, we've really, we've really focused just on Jesus' teaching about that. So if you'll notice, you know what you have a tendency to talk the most about is what is the most important to you. Is that correct? I mean, you talk more about your kids than you do your toenail clippers, I, I, I don't know, that's the first thing that came to my mind for some weird reason, but you, your, your kids are more important, therefore you talk, I have no idea where that came from, you just, your kids are more important, so you talk more about your kids, and so Jesus taught a lot of things, and everything Jesus taught was very important, obviously, but he taught a lot about his second coming, again, because the whole reason for him coming the first time was because he was going to be coming a second time, right? And if anything, he wants people to be prepared and be ready. And we'll read the verse in a minute. But the Bible says that God's not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hell is there and hell is real, but God don't want anybody to go there. People go there by their own choice by rejecting Christ. But Jesus said, man, I don't want anybody to go there, so I want everybody to come to me and repent and be saved. So that's the invitation. So I'll say the same thing I said last week, that the thought of the second coming of Jesus doesn't have to be a scary thing. It's actually a very exciting thing for the Christian that knows where their soul lies. Amen? So in Luke 21, uh, verses 34 through 36 says, But watch yourselves, and I think I ended with this one last week, But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Dissipation is it's a squandering or wasting. Basically, just kind of wasting your life with useless type things. Uh, weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, cares of this life. And that can be everything from paying bills to raising kids to hobbies to you know, maintenance on your home. I mean, you name it, just cares of life. Things that we just do and have to do that kind of have a tendency sometimes to suck all of our attention and to weigh us down heavy. How many of you have ever been weighed down with the cares of life? You know exactly what that means, amen? I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you are weighed down right now with the cares of life? Many of us, if not all, would probably raise our hands. And that's normal. Obviously, the cares of life, it's life, and life sucks. Sometimes it stinks, and sometimes we just have to put up with it, but life is life. But we don't have to be weighed down and defeated because of the cares of life. Amen? So Jesus is saying, don't let those things weigh you that that day, the speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ, will come upon you suddenly like a trap. All the times Jesus talked about His second coming, it was about how sudden it was going to be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night, the time when you least expect it, right? No man knows the hour of the day. So don't let it come suddenly on you like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, 
but stay awake at all times. He's speaking spiritually, of course. He didn't expect us to literally stay awake. But staying awake spiritually, when you're awake physically, you're alert, correct? When you're asleep, you're not aware of what's going on around you. But when you're awake, you are. And that's what he's saying from a spiritual standpoint. We can be spiritually asleep. Meaning we're just cruising through life and we don't recognize that the, that the world, we don't recognize what Satan is doing all around us. We don't recognize what God is doing all around us. And we're in a spiritual place of sleep where we're just kind of thinking about ourselves. And that's an easy thing to fall into. See, Satan, Satan is kind of a rockabye babying the church. Right? He's saying, if I can't get these people to turn away from Jesus, then I'm going to at least rock them to sleep, get them comfortable in their churchiness, get them comfortable in their own lives, and at least they won't be aware of all the lost people around them. Right? So Jesus is saying, spiritually, in a sense, stay awake at all times. We have to be alert and, and looking, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Our entire existence, and think about this. I, I mean, I know we get caught up in life, we have tunnel vision. We think our life is about, you know, you know going to work, living life, raising kids and all that stuff, and we're to do that. But our entire existence, the whole reason we even exist was so that one day we would be with God in eternity. I mean, He created us, not for us, He created us for Him, right? So that moment, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we are given the invitation to confess Him and to kneel to Him now in this life so that when we stand before Him, we are able to go spend eternity with Him. But if we fail to confess Him now and kneel, bow our knee to Him now, then we will on the day of judgment, right? Every knee is going to bow and every knee is going to confess because every single person will stand before God in judgment. Doesn't that kind of change the way you kind of want to live your day? I mean, if you're thinking about yourself, um, I'm, I could stand before God today, we would just act different. We would live different. We would live prepared. And that's ultimately what Jesus is saying. Everything is about that moment that you stand before God. Don't wait until that moment. Now think about it, on that day, if everybody who rejects Christ up until the point they die and now they're standing before God, they'll be on their knees. I promise you, they'll be on their knees. Yes, Lord, okay, I believe now. Lord, I'm sorry, and so on and so forth. On their knees confessing Jesus is Lord, but when they're standing before Him at that point, it's too late, right? So what, what we need to do is before that takes place, go to our knees humbly. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I put my faith in you. I repent. I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed. And on this side of death, Jesus will always forgive you. Jesus said, I will in no way cast out anybody that comes unto me. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't cast you away? Aren't you glad that he saved you? So I say all that to say this before I move forward, that if you're sitting here today and, and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, and you've never asked, invited Jesus to be the Savior of your life and repented of your sins and, and trusted in His work at the cross for you, there's no reason not to do that today. No reason at all. You will bow. Just do it today instead of on that day, okay? And so, you know, the devil, I know he gets in our head, well, everybody's watching, what will people think, blah, blah, blah. And it's not just about doing it in the church service. It's just about a time when God's dealing with your heart. Okay? That's the time to act. So if God's dealing with your heart today, we, we want you to leave here today ready 
for the day that you stand before Jesus. Amen? That's why I do what I do. I'm not here to promote any kind of religion. We don't have a membership in this, in this church. I'm not trying to get a bunch of names on the roll. All I want to do is try to get people to heaven. Amen? That's why I do what I do. All right. So, um, he said, don't be weighed down. In, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the 12th chapter, the writer says this. He says, uh, don't let... Uh, well, what did he say? He said, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. The weight and the sin, the ESV says, which clings to us so closely. The weights and the sins that surround us and cling to us, that are constantly trying uh, to, to hold, hold us down and, and tie our hands and keep us from being who God had created us, created us to be. And then he goes on to say this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The King James says the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and look here, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus uh, had to face something that he dreaded, and that was the cross. That was death. That was torture. And, but the reason he did it, the reason he endured all of that pain and suffering was because of the joy he knew would be on the other side of it. And that joy was that he would now be able to have relationship with us. If you have an estranged child that, that you haven't seen for many years and you want nothing more than to have that relationship re- restored, then you would endure anything you had to to get that relationship back. And that's what Jesus did. I, the, the relationship of man and God had been destroyed. It was estranged. But Jesus, knowing that he was going to win us back and, and obtain our eternal life, he endured the cross, endured the pain for the joy that was set before him. And because he endured it, He sits with the Father at the right hand of the Father. And in Revelation, Jesus made an invitation to everyone. He said, just as I overcame the world and sit with my Father in His throne, you too can overcome the world and sit with me in my throne. Amen? So that's what the writer here is compelling us to do, that even though life hurts and the cares of life comes, is that we... We face, we endure life day after day, setting our attention, our focus on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we, uh, we do it for the joy that is set before us. What is the joy? That day in which this life is over, and we don't have to face temptation anymore. We don't have to face guilt and shame. That's nasty stuff. I still, I still battle with, with guilt and shame. The devil, the devil wants to come along and make me feel dirty for things I've done in the past. And I have to remind him constantly that I'm clean. I'm, I'm washed by the blood of Jesus that we said about a minute ago. But there'll be a day well, I will never remember my sins of the past. So that's the joy. We're looking for eternal life with Jesus. Okay, so Mark 8 and 38, Jesus said this, For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... <clears throat> Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father in the holy angels. Okay, so let me, let me make something clear real quick here. I get it. We all get the emails that say, you know, forward to 20 people if you're not ashamed of the gospel, right? If, if you don't forward the email, they want to make you feel like you're ashamed of Jesus. Look, Jesus is not trying, he's not trying a scare tactic here. It's not about somehow trying to coerce people into you know, forwarding an email. It's more than that. What Jesus is saying is, look, we have one life, only one life. And, and whether or not we confess Jesus, Jesus wants people who will allow their light to shine, okay? 
Not people who are just out trying to win points with God by forwarding emails or, or knocking on doors or whatever. He said, I want a people who will allow me to put my light in them. And then we'll just let that light shine so the world around them can see. People that won't put a a bushel or put a basket over their light and be ashamed that they even know Jesus, right? Jesus says, and and it should be something that makes us stop and think. Jesus said, "If, if you're ashamed of me, if you refuse to confess me before men, then he said, I can't confess you before the Father. Again, that's something that's pointing us towards Jesus' second coming. What does it care? I mean, what do we... And I'm the world's worst. I'm going to say this. I'm preaching to me because I, and I've told you all this before, I struggle with this. I pray, I pray diligently for God to help me with this, uh, worrying way too much about what people think. I, I, I struggle with it. Some people, I, I admire some of you people who just don't give a rip what people think. I mean, some people just don't care. I mean, you, I don't care what you think about me. And they live life seemingly, you know, with uh, just calm and not me. It gets at me. I worry too much. But in the big scheme of things, if people look at me and think I'm a freak because I believe in Jesus, what difference does that really make? Right? Who cares? Because in the big scheme of things, when I stand before God, that person who thinks I'm an idiot isn't going to be standing there with me. They're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. So ultimately what Jesus is trying to say is, look, uh, hey guys, I kind of created you, so my opinion's really the only one that matters. Don't worry about what people think. Don't be ashamed of me before men. Um, Revelation 16, 15, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. In Revelation 22, 20, he says, He who testifies to these things, speaking of Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So let me just kind of specify this just a little bit. This is written, this is one of the last verses of the book of Revelation, which is one of the last verses of the Bible as it's arranged the way we have it. So John, who's an apostle, he's a preacher, Right? He's banished to this deserted island called Patmos because he had been preaching the gospel, because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He was cast to this island as punishment, and Jesus appears to, 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 to John in such a manner that John has a greater revelation of Jesus than he's ever had of him before. Okay? And he had walked with Jesus face to face. What it is, Jesus begins to reveal to John what things are going to be like as the end of time comes, as the end of the world starts to wrap up. Jesus revealed some things to him that no man really knew at that point, and we have it now in the book of Revelation. So as you read about the seven vials and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls and all of these things, that, that is literally the wrath of God that will be unleashed on, on the whole world. And it's interesting. Let me tell you something. You read through Revelation, you won't understand everything. There's a lot of symbolisms and things but one thing you'll get out of it is things aren't going to be too peachy on earth uh, when all of these things take place right so but ultimately here jesus gives this great revelation about things the way it's going to be at the end of time and then it says he who testifies of these things says keep in mind this is kind of what's going to happen surely i come soon or i come quickly and then i like what john says he said amen come lord jesus you ever, said, you ever said that? I know I have. You ever just get so burdened down, whatever be, whatever be the case, weights, cares of life, and you just get so sick of life that you just literally think, oh, Jesus, I just wish you'd come today. Even so, Lord Jesus, just come now and bring this all to a close. He's not going to come in our word, but one day that literally is going to take place. Now, these again, these are all just 
everything I've talked about are the examples of Jesus teaching, but I want to kind of hit a couple real quick uh, before I close today. Uh, some things that Paul and Peter and James, some of the other apostles, uh, carried on this, this teaching uh, to make sure that people didn't forget. Um, James 5 and 8, James said it like this, You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, meaning it's coming soon, it's coming close. And like I said last week, that even if, even if Jesus doesn't come for another 500 years, I, don't, I wouldn't even know what number to put on it. I don't think it would be that long. It may, it may not. But even if, if Jesus doesn't come for another 500 years, uh, the day of the Lord is at hand for each and every one of us because we don't know how long we're going to live, right? I, I could, we, we could leave this life tomorrow. The, there are, there are uh, funeral homes filled with people today that were alive yesterday, right? Because they didn't know what, when their time would come. And so for every one of us, the day of the Lord is at hand. And we'll stand before him. So uh, James compels us to be patient and establish your hearts. I like that. Establish your heart. In other words, there's no a wishy-washy faith, just kind of a casual tipping of a hat to God is not going to be enough to get us through these types of things. I mean, we've got to be all in. Our faith has got to be established. We've got to be living for Jesus, not just kind of, you know, maybe gradually, you know, you put the bumper sticker on your car, that's fine, but that's not, that's not ultimately what God's looking for. He's looking for people whose faith is established, who have built their whole life on the foundation of His Word, right? Make sure that it's established. And that only comes from day by day by day seeking after God. The more you seek God, the more established you are in your faith. That's just the way that it is. The least you seek God the shaky your faith is. That's just the way that it is. So the compelling here, as I would compel you, spend every day at some point in time, some time of your day, establishing your faith. Drawing close to God. Here's what God said. If you'll draw close to me, great. Then I'll draw close to you. See, God, God has already come uh, the distance in that He came to the cross and died for us, and He's drawing us, the Spirit is drawing us, to him, and God says, if you'll just draw, if you'll draw close to me, then I'll just go ahead and draw close to you and take you the rest of the way. Amen? Try it. You just try it and see. If you don't think, you get into the word of God, you spend some time in prayer and just say, God, I want to be closer to you. And you do that for, you just continue to do that. Make your whole life surrounding that one goal to get closer to God. I dare you. And find out how close you'll find God to be in your life. All right, turn into 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I'm going to tell you this long or I will have to go into week four. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13. There's some familiar scripture here. Paul, Paul is writing this letter. Uh, it's called First Thessalonians. What it means is it's Paul's first letter to a church that lived in a place called Thessalonica. They lived in Thessalonica, so they were called Thessalonians. Okay? We live in Willow Springs. We're called Willow Springians, I guess. <laughs> Kabulians or wherever. These were Thessalonians. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonian church. And this was a new church. These people didn't understand all of this. The, you know, they, they, they were saved. Uh, they knew about Jesus. But you know, they had people uh, passing away, you know, their loved ones dying. And so it rose, rose a question in their mind. So you know, now that we're saved and we believe in Christ, so what happens to us when we die? And so Paul is explaining that to, this to them here in chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about how those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So in other words, we don't want you to be... You, you have a hope that the rest of the world don't, don't have. 
People who aren't Christians don't have hope. There's no hope beyond death, right? Unbelievers, all they have to look forward to is the grave. I mean, and people, you know, atheists who want to take God out of the equation literally have no hope. I mean, it makes no difference how much money they make. They have no hope because once this life is over, they think that's just it, right? But so Paul is saying, you as Christians who know that this life isn't all there is, that life continues, Pat, we have a hope that the rest of the world don't have, amen? And then he goes on to say, for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, those who are left, the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, now now look at this, how this is unfolding, okay? We don't know exactly every detail of how the second coming of Jesus is going to take place, but he's painting a pretty clear picture here. You have a couple groups of people. You have people who have, when Jesus comes, you have a group of people who have already died, Christian people who have already died, and Christian people who are still alive when Jesus comes, okay? And so those who are alive aren't going to go before those who are dead. Let's read the rest of this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, or with a shout, as the King James says, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that's what I'm trying to do here this morning as we read this scripture and we think about that moment when Jesus comes and the trumpet of God sounds in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and all those who were dead in Christ. Now, look what he said. You know, you, I want you to think about the loved ones that you have laid to rest. The ones that you know you're going to see one day again. And you look forward to that time. And get a picture of this in your mind as it says, since we believe in Jesus, again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died. He will bring them with Him. They're with God now and God will bring, Jesus will bring them with Him when He returns. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this, but if you look into Revelation, the 19th chapter, and, and, and John gives the description of Jesus on the white horse, and he's got the, the, the mantle that says, you know, the Lord faithful and true, and, and from his eyes were like fire, and from his mouth went a sword. And what we find is the gathering, it's, it's the appearance of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. And what we find when you read that is during the, uh, the, the battle of Armageddon, in which the, the Antichrist has gathered all of his followers together to the battle of Armageddon to literally fight against Christ. And then boom, out of the sky with the trumpet of God comes Jesus following him are all the dead in Christ that join and then and then at that moment the dead I mean those who are still alive will then be caught up together to meet them in the air they're rejoined with their glorified bodies that have raised we get our glorified body and then God just and Jesus just literally kicks the tail of Satan and the Antichrist and everybody that has opposed him good stuff amen this is the, trust me, this is the team to be on. This is the team to be on. You read on down through there, and you read it, you, Revelation 19 and 20. It goes on to say how that the, the, the false prophet and the, and the Antichrist would be cast into hell, and then Satan himself would be bound and cast into a pit for a thousand years. And the de- the, in that moment, I mean, cause when Jesus comes back, you know, for years when I was a kid, I just had this picture, you know, okay, Jesus comes, we all raise up, and then whoop, we go off into heaven, we get our harps, and we, you know, we, we play. And that's just not the way it goes. That's not the way it's going to go down. I mean, because when we meet him in the air, where are we going at that point? 
back down here because Jesus is going to bound, bind Satan and we will be on this earth. And, and I'm not trying to get into an end times thing, but I'm trying to make a point that when Jesus comes back, we're looking, as Jesus comes and we join together with him, a thousand years of total peace with no devil, right? And that you're, only your mind can imagine this Bible speaks of a time where your child, even nature itself will be reset. It, when God first created the world, Adam and Eve could wrestle around with a lion. Adam and Eve could, you know, play with poisonous snakes. It, there was, the, the, the world itself was at complete peace because sin hadn't entered the world. But when sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. Okay, and that's biblical, that's scriptural. And so what God will do when Jesus comes back a second time is literally restore the earth to the way it was before the fall of man. And it goes on to say in, in other places that a, a child could play in a cockatrice nest or a poisonous snake. Literally, your little kid be playing with a, with a cotton mouth and you'd, you'd oh, well, that's cute. Look at little Johnny's playing. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't be scared at all because I mean, we can't fathom in our minds in a corrupted, painful, wicked world that we live in. We can't imagine a time like this, but this is what the scripture tells us that we as believers have to look forward to. That's why we have a hope that the rest of the world don't have. And if you read the rest of Revelation, you just find out how little hope people do have that don't know Jesus. Amen? Whew. How many of you got a goosebump out of that? Just raise your hand. Man. We're on the winning team. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, he says. When life gets rough, remember that it won't always be. If you're not saved, remember, life ain't always going to be the way it is now. There, there's a reckoning. There's a day that we stand before the one who created us, and that only makes sense. Why would God, a lot of people will say, oh, I believe in, I believe in God. But why would God create you in the first place if he didn't have a plan for you, if he didn't have a purpose, if he didn't have uh, if there wasn't going to be a moment that you would give an account for the life that he gave you, it only makes it only makes sense. Kind of like the the uh, servants with the talents we talked about last week, right? The the master gave them something, and then he came back after a long time to see what they did with what he gave them, right? He gave you life, and so Jesus is going to come back to see what you did with it, right? You give an account, we give an account for what we did with the life that he gave us. I'm gonna, I'm just going to dribble down into chapter five here just a little bit. Uh, of 1 Thessalonians says now concerning the times and the seasons brothers you have no need to have written or excuse me you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman now let me say this again while who verse 33 while who is saying peace and safety people well, while people, okay, who, who don't know anything, really, in the big scheme of things, when people are saying peace and safety, in other words, you don't have to worry about, it's all good, we're all evolving into better people, right? And so it's no problem, everything's going to be fine, don't worry about, you know, America, you know, oh, no, nothing will ever happen to America, it's solid. And we just, people begin to say that everything's fine, peace and safety, I assure you, he said that's when sudden destruction will come. It's when people aren't, aren't looking for it. And quite frankly, and this is also a reference to you know, the Antichrist, when he comes onto the world scene, he's going to come at first with an element of peace. It'll appear as though there is world peace. And, and he says, when people begin to say, peace, peace, 
That's when sudden destruction comes. So my point in bringing this to your attention is this. It says when people say peace and safety, Jeremiah and some of the prophets, when they would prophesy to their nation, the nation was, was backslidden. I mean, they completely turned their back on God. And so God would use these prophets to tell everybody, hey, look, God is not happy. You, you know, we're worshiping these other idols. We've turned away from God. And so God's going to bring judgment on our nation. And, and it was usually just one man or two men. You know, Jeremiah all by himself, that was his calling, was to tell his nation that God was going to judge them because of their sin. And everybody thought he was nuts. This guy's lost his marbles. And you know why they thought he was nuts? Because every other preacher in the land was saying things like, that's not going to happen. God loves us and peace, peace and safety. You don't, and they just literally rocked the entire nation to sleep. You don't have to, it's all good, don't worry about it. How many of you know that if you put your head in the sand and not worry about something, that's not going to make it go away, right? If my house is on fire and I just put the covers up over my head thinking I, it, you know, I don't want to think about it, Right? I'm put the covers over my head, I don't, my house on fire, but I, I don't want to think about it. It's, it's, it's good, I'm safe. I'm, I'm safe here under this wool blanket, right? And then I, I'm not really safe at all. I, I maybe convince myself I'm safe, but I'm not safe. That's ultimately what we do in this scenario where we just kind of, when you, we think about the second coming of Jesus and standing before Jesus, most people just don't want to think about it. I, I just, I, I don't want to go there. And, if we could, and so maybe some of you sitting here today are just, can't wait for this service and this message to be over with. You don't want to think about this. This is like this is like somebody shining like a real bright flashlight and they put it right in your eye and you're just like you don't you don't want to know what to do with all that light and all you can think about is getting that stupid light out of your face. And that's all I'm this morning. I'm kind of shining a light in your face. I mean, I know that this is something if you don't know Jesus, this is something that you're like you can't wait for it to be over. But it's the most needful thing you could possibly hear this morning. Hallelujah. Don't look for people to be your source of peace and safety. Look for that day. All right, got to move. Almost done. Chapter, uh, just turn to your right there, 2 Peter chapter 3. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's start reading to verse 1 and read down here just a little bit. Again, this is Peter, a different, different preacher, a different apostle, um, reminding the writers that he wrote to, who were the faithful, who were Christian people. He's writing this to them to remind them also. Look here, verse number 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of what? A reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, so basically what, what's he saying is basically this. Um, in the last days, as it becomes closer to that time, you'll have a lot of people scoffing. What is a scoffer? Someone who mocks and makes fun. And when they hear someone says to them, well, look, Jesus is coming soon, so you need to make your life ready for him, they'll mock at that and scoff at that. And why, what is, a lot of times what do you hear as the excuse is this. They've been saying, I've been hearing that my whole life. They've been saying that for years. 
I mean, the gospel's 2,000 years old. It was 2,018 years ago that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross of Calvary. And for 2,000 years, they've been declaring that Jesus is going to return. Jesus never said he was going to return, you know, in that moment. And so for 2,000 years, we've been looking for that day. And some people say, well, I've heard that my whole life. I've heard it my whole life. They've always been saying that forever. And so they dismiss it as being, well, that means it's not going to happen. You've got to remember back in the first verse that we read. Remember that he talked about in the end of the ages. The end of the ages. We're living in the end times. If, even, if, even if this world goes another thousand years, we're still living in the end times. Why is that? Because you have a period from creation on up through Abraham and all that. Then you have you know, all of the prophets. You've got another 2,000 years. And here we are. Once Jesus came and died on the cross, that began the end of the ages. Meaning there's never going to be another period of time before, God, uh, before Jesus comes back. We're living in that end of the age. So just because he doesn't come in my lifetime doesn't mean he's not going to come. He is going to come. His, remember, Jesus, his, his entire integrity, his character is on the line. He said he's coming. So if we believe in Jesus at all, we have to believe that he's coming again. So let us not get hung up in this trap in which we say, well, I've always heard that. No, and every time, honestly, every time I hear somebody say, well, I've heard that my whole life, it's just this little bell goes off, and it's, got, it's, it's a literally a fulfilling prophecy. I mean, Peter says in the last days, people are just not going to be looking for it. And so when we see that people aren't looking for it, they're literally fulfilling prophecy and not even recognizing it. He goes on to say this. Um, for they deliberately, verse 5, they deliberately overlook this fact, which is interesting. They deliberately overlook. See, because the Bible talks about this, that people who don't believe in God don't want to believe in God. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge. Uh, you know, if the fool has said in his heart there is no God, you have a pair of eyeballs and ears, you can look around you just for about 10 minutes out in the woods and come to the conclusion that there's a God. Right? So to not believe in God and to, and to do away with all this, you have to want to deliberately reject God. They deliberately overlooked this fact that heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept unto the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, so in other words, God's operating on a different timeline than you and I are. We look at it as, oh, 2,000 years they've been saying Jesus is coming, and, you know, 2,000 years and it's not happened yet. But for God, a thousand years is like one day, and one day is a thousand years. So in God's time frame... It's only been two days. It's not, about, it's not about the time frame. It's about do we believe the integrity of God's word, right? We don't have to get out here and prove to people, folks, that Jesus is going to come in the next, you know, 100 years. Or All we have to, all we have to know, Jesus has said he's coming, and, and I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm going to be ready. Amen? That's all that really matters. Um, I want to get down here to verse number, uh, well, verse number 10. I think it's where we left off. But the, no, no, no. Let me, verse nine. I don't want to skip that. The Lord is not slow to his, to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So meaning, you know, as, as God destroyed the earth with a flood in Noah's day, uh, that'll never happen again, but the next time God destroys the earth, it will be with fire, right? So think about it, that, that big new house that you got or want or whatever, uh, and that's fine and dandy, and it's good. Get, you, get the biggest house you, you can afford. Nothing wrong with that at all. But just understand that one of these days it's going to be a pile of ashes, right? Get the, get the newest truck that, that comes out, that they roll out on the assembly line. Get it. If you can afford it, buy it. That's fine. But just understand that one day it's going to, it's literally every element will melt with fervent heat, right? It's, it's, it's just going to be completely destroyed and disintegrated. Everything will be by fire. That's what he's saying. Since all these things, now here's where it gets, you know, rubber meets the road. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, the, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? Knowing all of these things are going to take place, what kind of person should you be? That's, that's, a, that's a good question, I think. That's a fair question. If we know and really believe all of these things are to take place and Jesus is coming again, what kind of person should I be today? How should I treat, number one, my dedication to God? Number two, how should I... How should I lead my home? Should I allow compromises in my home that might lead my family astray? Probably not a good idea if I know that Jesus is coming back today, right? What kind of person, how do I, how do I deal with other people? How do I deal with people I can't stand? Jesus said to love your enemies, right? And that's hard for us to do unless we get to thinking that maybe Jesus is going to come back today. I'm telling you. If you knew, if, if, if it had been set in stone and tomorrow Je- we knew Jesus was coming back, that person you can't stand, you'd be looking all over the place for him. Right? Looking all, to make, to make amends. Because all that he did to me, she did to me, blah, 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 it wouldn't matter. Because you're thinking, Jesus is coming, so the kind of person he wants is somebody who will forgive and who will feed his enemies and give you know, drink to his enemies and give clothing to his enemies if he needs it. That's, that's what God is looking for. That's the kind of person I should be. And we would be that person if we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow. The thing is, Jesus could be coming tomorrow. Amen? He wants us to be that way all the time. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. We know that. He gathers his disciples. He spends about 40 days gathering his disciples and pouring into them giving them direction, the Great Commission. I want you to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So he goes out and he, he gets them all together. He's up on the mountain, the Mount of Olives. And as he's teaching them and giving them final instruction, gravity just turns loose of Jesus. I mean, you can imagine this in your mind. Picture it. As you're sitting there talking to him, and all of a sudden, he just starts to ascend. Okay? It wasn't some magic trick. It wasn't nothing that people want to try to explain it all away. God just, he just went back to God, okay? And so they're standing there and they're watching Jesus as he is ascending back up to the Father where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father like we read a minute ago. So as all these disciples are looking up there, watching this amazing thing, and as the clouds, Jesus went up through the clouds and he was no longer in their sight and they continue to look. And while they're looking, a couple of angels appeared and said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing? This same Jesus who was 
taken from you in this, in this manner that you see going up into heaven will come in like manner. In other words, the same way he left is the same way he's coming back. And the disciples, with that message, went out and changed the world, preaching the gospel that Jesus came once to save, and he's coming the second time to reckon, amen, to settle accounts. What's your account look like today? If you've been saved and you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, your account is settled. Your account is in the black. But if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never accepted him as your personal savior and you've just rejected him, your account's in the red. So if you go to the bank and your account's in the red, what does the bank want you to do? They want you to settle up. Make it right. And on that day, when we stand before God, if our account's in the red, if we've never accepted Jesus, we have to settle up the account. And you know how we do that? Hell. But if we stand before God, Jesus in our heart, the account's already settled. Hallelujah. We're in good standing with an almighty, holy, perfect God. He, well, us. Messed up, sinful, wicked human beings like me. I'm right with God. Not because of... Not because I got it together and started doing this, this, and this. I'm right with God just because Jesus settled my account. I trust him for that. Amen? It's that easy. It's that easy. Don't leave with red in your ledger this morning, okay? Let's stand to our feet this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed.